Well, I, I feel like it's necessary to begin this message. It's really not necessary. And I want you to know I don't trash talk. But last week, there was a football game. No, just listen, stick with me. And I did not cheer for most of your team. Most of you are cheer for the same team. But I want you to know today, I am the biggest Colts fan that's out there. Let's go Colts. No, I'm just saying, uh, we, are, we are in this together. We're playing the Rams. And I promise you, I'll... We'll try to help you out and beat the Titans for you. So, you know, it's a, it's a win-win thing. If you'd like me to pray again so you can sneak out and be like, forget that guy. I can do it. And close, everyone close their eyes. Uh, oh, man, can I tell you a really quick story? And we'll get to, this has something to do with the message. I, <laughs> wow. So, uh, quite honestly, I'm struggling because this contact lens is all foggy, and I've pulled it in and out of my eye all morning long, and I've cleaned it, and I've, it's just craziness. I have these big, like, cereal bowl contacts, psh, uh, and every once in a while it acts up, and today's one of those days, and I was feeling sorry for myself, like, Lord, how am I supposed to go and, 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 and preach? Like, all I'm going to be able to do is preach this side of my notes and miss everything over here. Um, and then I was reminded, I have a friend who is a pastor, we went to college together, and uh, his retinas were detaching. That's a genetic thing. They expected it to happen. And he was mid-sermon when they finally went. And he finished his sermon essentially blind. I mean, they repaired it. They sewed it back together. However that works. I'm not a retina sewer. Uh, but, but I'm like, well, if, if he can do it, then I can do it. So um, now we should probably pray for this sermon. All right. Uh, we are in our third week of our series uh, Sacrifice of praise. We were talking about worship, and uh, just to give, by way of review, the first couple of weeks, uh, week one, we talked about biblical uh, responses and expressions of worship, and that led us to last week where we talked a lot about, hey, sometimes when it comes to worship, it's it's not just about the music, but sometimes we we come as a, with a consumer mindset, and, and really, are we consumers of worship? Or are we consumed in worship? And and we looked at Romans chapter twelve, where Paul says. Therefore, we should be living sacrifices. That's our reasonable act of worship, as some of your translations say. So he, he, he talks about worship being everyday, ordinary life, not just what we do when we gather in this place. We do worship together. This is a worship setting. But worship is your whole life, the everyday, ordinary parts of our life. And um, you know, the idea last week was God doesn't just want you to be to offer a sacrifice of worship. He wants you. He wants your entire life to be a sacrifice of worship. So we are to be living sacrifices. And we 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 started into verse one of chapter twelve, and, and we kind of stayed there. And that's where we got our big idea. But I'm afraid that perhaps you would walk away going, "Oh, we have to be living sacrifices." Like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? It sounds like another thing that we must do. And the word sacrifice, let's be honest, who's like, woohoo, sacrifice? <laughs> Sacrificing, you know, ice cream. Nobody wants to sacrifice ice cream. Or, or you know, we, we, sacrifice doesn't elicit like an excitement usually. And here we are, our whole life is supposed to be a sacrifice. What does that look like? For me, when I, when I heard this as, as, a, as a young Christian, and maybe even sometimes today, if my mindset's not right, I think it's just one more thing to do. And it sounds like, an exhausting thing to do on top of many exhausting things to do as a Christian. As a Christian, we're supposed to do this and not do this. And here's the deal. When I lived my life trying to follow the rules of Christianity, I wasn't very good at it. 
And I don't like to lose, so I became discouraged and, and, and disillusioned by the, I'm trying really hard, I'm exhausted by doing it, but this is what I ought to do because, after all, Jesus did it for me, so I guess I should do it for him, right? If that's how we're looking at living sacrifice, I feel like we're, we're in trouble because I think that's a setup for being exhausted and being discouraged. Trying to follow the rules, and many of you are like, well, that's not what the Christian life is about. I'm glad you know that. But some of us still live that way, even though we know it. Which makes the good news not so good. Here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for you. Now you have to work. Now you have to perform. I was told that the Christian life was a better way to live, but yet I'm tired. And I'm really bad at following the rules. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, I think maybe that introduction is for you because I imagine some of us, some, you know, maybe you're like, I'm just checking this thing out, this church thing out. I think I have an idea of what Christians do and believe. And, I, and if you think for, that this is about following the rules and we must act this way, after all, Jesus did this for us, therefore we must do this for him, then I, I have good news for you. That's not the good news of Jesus. And we're going to get there. So let's talk about what a living sacrifice looks like, going back to Romans chapter 12, where we left off last week. Let me just read uh, the first two verses all over again. Actually, turn to Romans chapter 12. I didn't give you time to do that. As you do that, or, or flip it there in your phone, uh, just a little reminder. We, I've said it last week, probably in depth. Romans is written to the church in Rome by Paul. And in the first 11 chapters, this is important. This is not just killing time for you to turn your pages. The first 11 chapters, he talks very much about, like, our salvation, our sin, our salvation, our, our sanctification, our becoming like Jesus, uh, the sovereignty of God in all of this. He lays out the truths of our salvation. And then in verse 12, he starts to talk about the to-do list, which I've already kind of knocked as not the Christian life. But there is, therefore, you must, you ought to live this way, living sacrifice. And then he sets up all the preceding chapters, which are, this is how you should act. This is what you should do. And you're like, wait a minute, Jerome, are you lying to me? No, stick with me. Because the, the really powerful part that helps, uh, helps us understand the, what follows this is right here, verses 1 through 2 in chapter 12. Now we'll read it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God, God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. For those of you who are new to Radiant or maybe your guests, I, I read out of the New Living Translation because... It's like sixth grade English, and it's really easy to understand, and it puts it very plainly. But when I study scripture, I, I use something a little more formal, like the formal equivalent, ESV and ASB, which is like ninth grade English. Uh, so it's so much harder. But it really is, because what, what you end up doing with the translating is you stick with more the word you know, order, and the, the grammar doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like great English but it, it helps us kind of see what was there, whereas something that's more dynamic helps us really gain the meaning, even though they don't necessarily worry about translating every word exactly, uh, just catching the idea in the, in the phrase. So we're going to see that a little bit as we dive into this passage. 
that's just a little background. Let's look at the very first part of verse 2. We were in verse 1 last week. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Don't copy is what I read, but some of you, your Bibles say, do not be conformed to this world. The message, which I read last week to you, says, and this is way more dynamic equivalent, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And, and the Phillips translation, which was a Bible scholar from like a century ago, he, he wanted to, one of the first attempts at modern English says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? First and foremost, it means I'm not going to be squeezed into the mold of the world. I'm not going to copy what the world says. And the word there, conformed, is, is showing like an outward structure. Like I'm going to shape my life to be like everything else around me. The word world there in, in, in the original language is, is, when we say world, we're not talking globe. We're talking like, the, it's it just translated age. Uh, as well as world, but it, 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 it speaks of more than just the globe that is the world, but it is the, the, the beliefs, the philosophies, the methodologies, the strategies of our culture. That's the, the fallen world we live in. Paul uses that same word for world when he calls uh, this age evil, the, the current age that they were living in, that we are living in. In, in, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says that the God of this age, the same Greek word, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3, he talks about how this age has wise men, it has scholars, it has philosophers, and they believe they have the answers to life. But the reality is that their, their wisdom will lead them to nothing. And that, and that God's plan is to take what seems like foolishness that we believe, my favorite verse in the Bible, First, I, actually I have a, a page out of one of Charles Spurgeon's Bibles. I don't know how I got that, but I have it. And it's 1 Corinthians 1.18, you know, the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. We believe in foolishness according to what everyone out there who doesn't believe thinks of us. What we think is foolish. What they think is foolish. And what we say we believe is foolish. So Paul said, yeah, become fools because God takes the foolish things and he shows that they're really wise, and he, and, he, and he humbles those who think they are wise, who are they're really fools. So we don't conform to our culture. We don't, we don't try to copy that. It's, um, it's sounding a little bit like a to-do list, like, okay, don't do this, don't do that. Well, wait a minute, Jerome, that's not where you said this message was going. Stick with me, because there's a part of that not conforming that's very important to uh, why we don't conform. Let's keep going. We're to be what? Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, is what I read. Your Bible might say something like, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, that word renewal in the original language is, uh, is a combination of two Greek words. One is the word new, kenos, it's actually kino, anakinosis, and ana, which means again, that you are being made new again and again and again that you are transformed because you are being made new in your mind. That's how we get the translation I read, that you're becoming a new person because God is changing the way you think, being renewed in your mind. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul uses the same word when he says, we are being renewed day by day. 
day by day, we are being changed and transformed. Colossians 3.10, Paul uses the word again. When he says the new self, remember, when we, when we put our faith in Christ, we, are, uh, we get the right standing with God, the right relationship with God, but we are not just legally and relationally made right, but we are made new, regeneration, that the new self is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I know this feels like a Greek lesson to you. Just stick with me. My daughter's in her first year of Greek, and I guarantee you she knows more Greek than me at this point because she's doing it every single day. Um, the word transform there is a word that you may recognize. I'll give you the Greek word. It's metamorphuo or something like that. It's, it's where we get metamorphosis. And the form that it's taking, that's taking place here is the present passive imperative, which probably means nothing to most of us, which is fine because what it, what it really is saying in that, in that particular form is that it's an ongoing and repetitive. That's where that renewed day by day comes in from 2 Corinthians that I quoted earlier. The word metamorphosis, which we know of maybe from science class. Where do we know the word metamorphosis from? Yeah, science class. Butterflies, right? Yeah. Out of the cocoon. Uh, they, go, they, they, they are transformed. They have a metamorphosis. A transformation, a marked change. This is, a, this is an English dictionary. A, uh, a change in character, appearance, condition, or function. That is what takes place when we are renewed, that God transforms us by changing the way we think. So all that to-do stuff we're going to get to as we continue to read Romans, if we were continuing to read Romans, uh, if we were to preach through Romans, has its, we don't get there until we first understand that there is a renewal of our mind, a changing the way we think. There's a transformation that takes place. It's a weird sound. Okay. Uh, this verse is, is drawing a picture that the Christian is to become different. And here's where I, I want to be clear because I feel like sometimes we think, okay, as a Christian I'm supposed to be different, therefore I have to act different. But we, we, that becomes part of the to-do list of I have to be different from the world. So don't be, notice the verse doesn't say don't be, don't copy the world, don't be conformed to the world, but be the opposite of the world. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say be the opposite of the world. It doesn't say don't be that, copy the church, copy what other Christians do. It says no, it's, 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 it's not even the same word as the outward conform. It's, it's be transformed from the inside out that takes place. That there is a transformation. That's why we're different. It's not a to-do list to be different. It's a transformation where we are transformed to the image of Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 8 earlier in this. Don't look, but I'll read you Romans chapter 8. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is that, uh, the goal of our transformation, to be more and more like Christ. I said it already. There's a difference between being shaped, don't copy, don't conform, and being morphed. There's an external, don't, don't, don't do this temporary thing where you're trying to copy, but from the inside out, be transformed by allowing God to change the way you think. Transformation means that something changes, but not just the outward appearance, or not just, not just the, the, the behavior or the function, but the actual essence of a person. There's something that's deeper than the exterior. So that's the very first part of verse 2. Let me read verse 2, the second part of verse 2. It's a long verse. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A New Living Translation, that's the New Living Translation. The ESV, which is more formal, says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good uh, and acceptable and perfect. The word testing there is really the word that shows up in the Greek, and it, it means examine, to regard as worthwhile, to judge as good. That's why some of your Bibles will say not just testing, but test and approve, or it'll say just prove. Like, let God transform you by changing the way you think, by renewing your mind. Then you can prove that God's will is good, perfect, pleasing. Because sometimes, unless God has begun to do that work in our heart, we're not, so, we're not quite sure that what God says in his will for us is good, perfect, and pleasing. And when I say will, I'm not talking about, like, what's God's will for my life, like some future, my spouse, my job, my, my address. I'm talking, what's God's will? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. Forgive one another. Those things that are not natural to us. Or is it natural to you to, to love one another, to forgive one another, to love your neighbor as yourself? They're not natural to us. That's, that's kind of our default setting is, is to live life based on our preferences. And that's kind of what our culture and our world says. If, if you feel it and you want it, go do it. But here there's a sacrifice of our own preferences, a sacrifice of our default setting where we are number one, where we sit on the throne of our heart. A living sacrifice is when you choose to sacrifice your preference, to go against your default setting because God is changing us from the inside out, that we will do God's will instead, those things that don't come natural, those things that we wouldn't do apart from God's work in our life. That's God's will. Now, if you look back, remember this, this verse is kind of the hinge where this whole book turns. It starts off with, therefore, verse 1 of chapter 12, because of Romans, and that therefore was because of Romans 1 through 11. What was Romans 1 through 11 again? God's mercy. Romans 1 through 11 can be summarized with God's mercy Paul explains your sin, God's salvation, your sanctification, and God's sovereignty. Because of God's mercy, some of your translations say, therefore, in light of God's mercy, God's mercy is the summary of the first 11 chapters. He's saying because of God's mercy, it's really reasonable that we would sacrifice ourselves for him spiritually. And as I said, what follows so depends on this verse and how you live out the to-do list of Christian life as somebody who's like, I got to accomplish. See, here's the problem with to-do list of Christian life. Sometimes we forget the grace that we've received and we begin to actually, especially you veteran Christians, you become really good at doing the to-do list and we forget that we don't deserve what we have. We forget the grace that we've received and we think that perhaps somehow our good actions and our, our, our performance somehow is earning something for us that's not the good news of Jesus. That's actually worse than being exhausted and tired of, being a, of doing the to-do list. That's called spiritual pride and arrogance. Eh. <laughs> what happens in the next few verses? Let me just give you. And tell me whether or not you think transformation 
is necessary to do this. Chapter, the rest of chapter 12, that we sacrifice, that sacrifice, that the sacrifice that we, that we offer in our life is expressed in our relationships within the church and with personal relationships. We've already talked about personal relationships and following the will of God, love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't come naturally. There's a sacrifice of ourself and our preference and our will. Chapter 13, that sacrifice is seen in submitting the civil authorities, loving God and your neighbor. Chapters 14 and 15, that sacrifice is seen in, in giving, uh, is seen in sacrificing our personal preference in the church so that we don't cause a weaker Christian to stumble and sin. Those things don't take place naturally. They take place when God has changed the way we think, when we were transformed from the inside out. You see, it's the mercy of God that's the motivation for our sacrifice. The problem is we don't necessarily keep the mercy of God at the forefront of our mind. We'll get there in a moment. So what about worship? And you're like, Jerome, this is a series on worship. What are we talking about now? What about worship? What does this have to do with worship at all? Let me remind you of last week's message. God doesn't just want you to offer a sacrifice of worship. He wants your entire life to be a sacrifice of worship. Therefore, worship is what? Look at this passage. Be, be a living sacrifice. It's holy, which means set apart. It's, it's, it's different, this living sacrifice. And how are we living sacrifices? By allowing God to change, as the New Living Translation says, to transform us by changing the way we think. So worship ultimately is a life of being changed. A life of being changed in the image of Christ. We are being transformed. Our thinking is being changed and transformed. Therefore, we are being thinking, therefore, we are being changed and transformed. We know God's will as he changes our mind. We value God's will. And then we do God's will instead of our own. That's a living sacrifice. Remember, worship is not just the singing. It's everything in life. As Christ transforms your mind, he becomes the treasure of your heart. And what we treasure actually determines how we live our life. We worship what our heart treasures, and we live for what our heart treasures. We live what we worship. See, what you worship changes who you are. That's the one simple point, and maybe you thought that sounds really obvious, but it comes out of this text. What you worship changes who you are. Our living sacrifice of worship, our life of worship to the Lord, everyday, ordinary moments, changes who we are. But it's not just that. If you worship the cults, it changes who you are. You're probably not here right now. Well, no. Are they in a way game? Either way, go Colts. Beat the Rams. Uh, what you worship changes who you are. We are, and I've said this before from the beginning, we are all created to worship. And if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping some, some, something or someone else. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this about worship. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is your real God. On those darkest moments of life, what is it that your heart clings to? Where do you find comfort? I've lost everything, but at least I have this. 
family, finances, friends. I know it all starts with F. That's what preachers do. I mean, whatever it is. At least I have this. That's your real God. And you'll orient your life to serve that, to maintain it, to satisfy it. We are all, and I'm saying this not because I'm like, guys, I only worship God. No, I, I, I'm with you, whether you realize you're, you're an adulterer or not, an idolater. But idolatry is really just spiritual adultery. I'm one of them. What is it that we orient our life around? What is it that we allow to change us? What is it that feeds into our default setting of selfishness and putting me first, success, influence, power, popularity, comfort, and pleasure? You begin to orient your life around securing and satisfying the longing in your heart for what it is that you treasure. And whatever that is, it will change how you live your life. See, whatever it is that, that you have to have actually has you. I, I'm afraid sometimes I've spent my Christian life trying to change to be more like Jesus. Um, and I'll use an example without giving you details, but like struggling with sin. Like there's this sin. And as hard as I try to overcome it, I can't somehow overcome it. And it's, 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 and it's hurting my relationships. It's, it's hurting my walk with God. And I don't, I don't want to live this way anymore. So I, I, I just need to like, mm, you know, man up, be more disciplined. See, what you think may be a lack of discipline in light of this, I think may not be a lack of discipline as much as it is a lack of worship. If you're struggling with something and you're thinking, I need to be more disciplined, the, discipl the lack of discipline is, is, is really the cause of why this continues on in my life, I would submit that perhaps it's the lack of worship because what you worship changes who you are. So what is it we should do? How, how do we take this out the doors and, and live it in our life? Let me give you uh, just one thing. You need to fight for the focus. You need, you need to fight for focus by living gospel-centered lives. Fight for focus. See, we are all worshipers. We all have fickle hearts, so our focus on Jesus is not necessarily fine-tuned focus. Our heart wanders. We fight for focus. We are fighting to keep Christ as our treasure. And we do so by a phrase that I, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it here because it's really where I would like to end this message. And it's really the songs we've just sang by being gospel-centered. What does it mean to be gospel-centered? It means to be grace-aware. I think I said it earlier that we are grace amnesiacs. You remember that first time and you really, if you're a Christian, where you really understood our need for grace. That we couldn't earn this thing. There's nothing we can do that God takes the initiative, reaches out, and finds us. You remember that feeling of like, man, and we sing songs like amazing grace, and it's pretty stinking amazing. But it doesn't take long for us to forget how amazing that is. And to think of all the other things that the Christian life is about. 
about performance, about doing the right things, the yes and the no's, the do's and the don'ts. We tend to live the Christian life forgetting all that we have received and all that we are because of what Christ did on the cross. We tend to live the Christian life forgetting Romans chapter 1 through 11. And then we try to do 13 and 14 and 15 in our own, on our own, with our own strength, our own discipline. Most of us are bad at those, doing those things on our own. Some of us are good and we're arrogant about it, so that's just another, that's something else. But when we focus or refocus on the grace of God, Jesus becomes the treasure of our heart. See, grace refuels our devotion. Grace, when we, when we, when we contemplate and we sing it, what is the song we sang? The new one. You'll love me as you find me. That's singing the good news of Jesus. That's why we sing those songs. To remind us. I, I, I'm kind of at the place in my life where I feel like, like there's still much to learn about the Bible and about Jesus. But I feel like most of the time I just need to be reminded of the things that I already know that I just forget. The things that I already know, I mean, quite honestly, we're all probably educated beyond our level of obedience. We, we want to know something new and exciting about the Bible, but what about the basics? When we are grace aware, Jesus easily, easily becomes the undisputed treasure of our hearts. And when he is the undisputed treasure of our hearts, it changes who we are. It changes how we live our life. When he's the treasure of our hearts, I'm not saying that's easy, and that's why the word is there. You have to fight for that. You have to fight for it. I, your pastor, has to fight for it. And if you're not comfortable with that, then you might have to find a pastor who's more spiritual than I am. I have to fight to keep Jesus the treasure of my heart. We all do, because we're all idolaters in one way or another. May we stop and ponder what it is that we have received that we didn't deserve. <laughs> what it is that we won't receive that we really have deserved. And when we do that, Jesus becomes the treasure of our heart. I, I, uh, not every song hits the same when we sing worship. And I know I'm going back to like the worship setting and songs. But there's one thing I, I know is all the songs are meant to glorify God. But the songs that like keep it really close to, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Not necessarily those words, but the songs that celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross, they're the ones where we respond. They're the ones who are like, oh yeah. And it's not just about saying the right words, it's actually really believing in and in, 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 and, and letting those things penetrate our heart and say, yeah, that's being transformed by the way we think. If you're not a Christian here today, I, I, we're delighted that you're here. It's a funny place to be if you're not a Christian. It's kind of like I went to a Colts game. I'm not a Colts fan, but... Uh, <laughs> it is my hope, if you heard nothing in this message, that you heard 
what the message of Jesus is and what the good news is. And if there is any obstacle to faith, thinking it's a bunch of to-do lists and some heavy burden of, of conforming to act like we act, I want you to be free of that. The message of Jesus is that we could not do a thing about our condition. We were born separated from God, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us more or less. Jesus Christ lives a life that we could not live and dies a death that our sins deserve in our place as a substitute. We put our trust in him. We believe in him of what he's offering to us, the gift of salvation, that man, we put our trust in him. We will be made right with God in right relationship, in right standing, but more importantly, we're made new. We are made new. So salvation in, in eternity is not when I die. It's, it's, we begin that now. We're made new now. Whether you've been considering or whether you've been trying to study this thing, really what it requires is something to click in your heart. It's really just kind of crossing some line of faith. We could lead you in a prayer if you'd like, but it's really just about crossing that line of faith. As we close this series up, I there's part of me that wants to kind of pray like this priestly prayer. It's kind of an Old Testament thing. But let me just say it this way. It's something I wrote. May we, radiant, live lives as living sacrifices. Not chaining ourselves to some set of rules, but focused on the grace we've received, transformed from the inside out, because that change is genuine, lasting, and freeing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. What a, what a privilege we have to, to be here, to look to your word. We, we've been in this thing about worship, and we started with singing and services, and we've moved to our life, that all of our life is, is worship, to everyday, ordinary moments. orient our life around what we worship, that what we worship changes who we are. Father, may we indeed fight when the pull of everything else, the world, the pull of our own default setting of selfishness, putting ourselves first, when those things pull us away from the grace we know and received and who we are, God, may, may we fight to keep you as our treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.